Hello there. What's up? My name is Nate. You're listening to Life Tips Podcast. Welcome. Everyday life topics with advice and tips for becoming a better you. This show is all about self-improvement. Each episode is unique to whatever you're going through, and it doesn't matter your youth or gender. Everyone can benefit. But the reality is that nobody is perfect. There's always going to be downfall with rising, and there's something to improve upon every single day. So if you want to make changes in your life, then follow along, and I'll help you take yesterday's mistakes and master them for a new tomorrow. Let's get started. Alright, before we get started with this episode today, if you are brand new to Life Tips, thank you, thank you, thank you. I look forward to uh, impacting your life and I pray that you take something that I've said to heart, jot it down in your notes, on your phone, in your notepad, wherever, and just plan to apply it to your life. If you are a current or faithful listener of the show who have been with us since day one, welcome back. Excited to continue this journey with you, and we hope that you continue to enjoy the show as you always do. All right, let's get started. What's up, world? Welcome back to Life Tips Season 6. I'm your host, Nate, and I am an inspirational speaker. Let's meet today's guest. Here on Life Tips Podcast, it's been my pleasure to host a wide variety of guests from all over the U.S. and the world. Today's guest is a powerhouse. Her name is Ms. Walla Blagay. I first met her when she was campaigning in 2017 to be a delegate for the Maryland primaries in 2018. And from there, it's been cake ever since. I then spent 2018 going around the state of Maryland campaigning with her all the way up until primary season ended. And though she didn't win, it was the best experience of a lifetime. I learned so much about the Liberian culture and Africa and politics. She's just a breath of fresh air and her connections are unbelievable. I got to meet people that I never thought I would ever be able to meet. So that is just a little peek of how good our friendship is. Walla is a lawyer with DC Nurses Association and, of course, former Maryland delegate, former TV show host, which I helped her with. She's an outstanding activist, proud Liberian, and more. So 
Now that I've read through her bio, let's welcome Walla onto the show for the first time ever. Okay, everybody, we're here. Let's welcome Walla onto the show for the first time ever. Hey! Hey, this is awesome. You're welcome. I appreciate you coming through. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am an activist. I'm an advocate and an activist. I have been advocating since I was young with my parents. My parents are from Liberia, Nigeria, and um, we're active in their community. My mom started a number of organizations when I was young. And I took that um, as I've gotten older um, from you know college. I was working in the workers' rights movement with AFL-CIO. And um, after, I continued my workers' rights, but I really got into advocacy. I was with Young Democrats, pushing to get young people more engaged in the political realm, also working with um, ACLU on a lot of civil liberty and really civil rights issues, along with the NAACP. Um, and I continue my advocacy, um, working with the Chat with the Lawyer, my show that brought people, lawyers, into the communities that understand their rights as community members um, and the laws that impact them. Um, and I took that as I ran for state delegate in 2018, where I continue my advocacy. I am also an attorney, um, and I'm a labor rights attorney, um, but I also have my own firm that I do a lot of advocacy and employment, um, labor, even um Wills trust the states um, in business and even business, um, a lot of small businesses um, and nonprofit organizations. So I definitely have that type of advocacy um, in different ways to advocate, but that's what I do. Um, and that was not successful in 2018 in my run for state representative, but, um, but I'm going to continue to run because I do want to represent the people that I live around and I can believe I can be a great spokesperson in my community. Yes. Yes, 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 and yes. Can't wait to get back out there. Y'all, I shared it in her bio just how much fun I had getting out there and campaigning. I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped. Can't I'm wait to excited. do it. I'm actually excited that you're excited because it's scary because, you know, it's like starting all over again. I'm starting with some of the team members I worked with before, but, um, but yeah, but I am, um, I'm branching my team out and we're bringing new people on. Um, but we've got a lot of money to raise and a lot of people to meet. And especially in the time of COVID, it's not going to be easy. So we've got barriers that we didn't have before, but we're ready for the challenge. Time to go break some barriers. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. So share with us, you know, a little bit about Liberia. I'm sure, you know, my listeners would love to hear about that. What's it like being a part of, you know, two cultures, uh, you know, bridging the gap between two worlds, America and Liberia? Uh, any advice for the for the listeners, some of whom probably are from two worlds on you know engaging between you know two cultures because it's it's a big you know difference between you know just being a part of two worlds in general but just oh my goodness i know for a fact but liberia and america y'all night and day so anyway let's hear from the expert <laughs> well um i thank you for 
for, you know, just inviting, you know, just talking about that. It is, um, you know, for immigrant communities, and I'm one that grew up with immigrant families, it's not easy because you're merging your own home where you grew up at home. And I would say I did, was born and raised here. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents were from somewhere else. But the good thing about America is that there's always going to be a group of people that understand you because we are a melting pot. And um, I did grow up in a community where my parents did go to a lot of the local um, tribal group meetings to kind of meet with their own people and kind of, you know, talk about just sort of adjusting in the country. At the time that my parents were really active, we were in the middle of a civil war in Liberia. Mm-hmm. So that was when a lot of them, a lot of people came over through the TPS program. So we definitely had like a lot of Liberians here. Uh, and it was really sad because a lot of them had seen parts of the war, had seen their families destroyed. And it really is the start to kind of become to a place where your whole family is not really here. So you're kind of making a new family or you're by yourself. Mm. Um, you're alone um, navigating. And I mean, for me, I don't have a lot of family here. Um, I Over time, my family started coming. So a lot of people came in 2005. A lot of people in the, 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 the down, the down, the down, you know, the, the impact of that, the adverse impact of that is that you don't know your family that well sometimes. Um, and, I, you know, if you don't meet someone until you're much older, it's much different when I visited Africa, like everybody kind of lives around each other. So everyone knows each other mm-hmm. um, and knows the stories and can hear them, meet the old people. By the time sometimes I've gotten there, a lot of people have died. So I've kind of, you know, kind of missed a little part of my heritage. But it does bring a, a new perspective. And one thing that Africans are trying to do is that a lot of people are so focused on home because the idea was that they were going to come here. A lot of them came through war, but just because really just no educational opportunities. And um, a lot of the places our parents came from, you really have to pay somebody to really be able to move up or know mm-hmm. the right people. So if you don't know mm-hmm. people, um, it is not one thing where you go go to go to school, you just get a job. You will not. You have to know the right people and pay some people. You know, be wealthy to to get a job. And if you're not, you really have to look to the Western world, like the United States or even Europe, to try to get jobs. So, um, so I, you know, family come here, they're like, okay, I can get a job here. So, but then a lot of people say, well, I'm going to just stay here for a couple of years, save my money up and go home. Almost no one does that because you have kids, because you, because this becomes the standard of life. Mm-hmm. So going back mm-hmm. home, you can visit, but to live there is hard. And your children are there. And that's what a lot of people say, like, well, our children are here. So this is home for, for you. So, um, for, you know, for me, it's home because that's where I grew up. But mm-hmm. my parents learned that too. And, you know, my, my mom became a citizen and my dad never went back. He passed away. But now mm-hmm. what we've learned is that how do we, bridge that into our community, become activists in our own community to make change for our people here because we are here permanently and we're not going anywhere. Um, And that's what I've been working on with a lot of groups. We've been pushing people to become more active. Wow. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So, um, (laughs) y'all, there's very few people very few people that I trust that actually know the law inside and out. So, and Wall is one of them. So, tell, tell, talk to us about that a little bit. Like, what inspired you originally to get into to get into law? Uh, there, ooh, yeah, there might be some law students listening right now, or someone listening interested in going into the law field full-time so um yeah what inspired you to get into law 
you know, what's it like being in the in that particular career field? Just just curious. Um, sure. So um, law, I got into law because um, because it really allows me to be a, the advocate that I want to be for the community. So, you know, <clears throat> a lot of times you find that with what we're doing and how things are going in our world all depends on the laws that are around us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We need more laws or we have them, but we're not using them. Mm. And um, and there's sometimes that you realize that laws are passed because people show up. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. show up, they're visible, they show their strength in numbers or with money. Um, and you know, that's why people in this country are so disgruntled. Um, and what led to like the Trump administration was like, you know, people kind of felt like there's nothing for me out here. But the problem is that while we're living in our lives and our heads are down, people are out here before the different bodies of government, whether it be Congress, whether it be the state house, whether it be your local county, um, all of those things, they're standing before their representatives, like, here's what we want, and paying people to do that. And while most of us are not paying attention, these things are happening. And then when you wake up, next thing you know, you know, pharmaceutical companies and wealthy people are making more money. They got tax breaks and the less, you know, people have don't have money in their pockets and barely have money. I mean, COVID really opened up. We've been saying a lot of times about healthcare that tying healthcare to a job is what things you can do because mm. if you don't have a job, you don't have healthcare, and then there's a whole process with that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we're realizing that we need to just find ways to make our lives easier because the wealthy people can't be the only people that gain from the laws in our country. Mm. Wow. That's that's facts big facts um so i remember this sort of but take us back for a bit um i'll just share with the audience where i was um i met walla at little at giant across the street at giant food that's where i met walla working one night she was out passing flyers and then boom literally boom like that's that's how it started for me I wasn't there the day she decided to run for delegate seat in Maryland back in 2017 2018 long before she started passing out flyers but take us through that day like when did you decide to like run to be to be a delegate in Maryland for the 2018 uh, primaries, and you know what was that? What was that like? You know, of course, up until the time that we met, and then everything exploded, and we just decided to go all in. Like Wallace running for president. Well, <clears throat> Wallace could. Wallace can run for president, y'all. I just want to point that out. She can. Could be. Could be in the future. You know, later down the line. So, um, but yeah, take us back to that day. Just what was going through your mind at, at that time? Um, yeah, so I actually worked, this goes back to 2007. When I was in college, I actually um, interned for a guy who was a young delegate, Justin Ross, and he was like mm-hmm. amazing in, um, in motivating me to want to be involved. Um, he was a young college, he was in his 20s then. It's so funny now, he's like, oh, we're getting old. But um, we, the truth is he wasn't that much older than me. 
but because I was like maybe 20 or 19 or 20 and he was um he was like 26 27 like, like that type of like that age but he was like to me he was like the most powerful man I met like he was like mm. a kid that was making change he knew how to the inner workers of Prince George's County and just like the fact that he had just gathered all his young friends they all got a young dance and then all decided we're going to get together and we're going to get each other elected and people fought them because they're not wanting young people at the table, but he didn't care. He was like, my friends are going to win. I'm going to win. And they most, most of them did win. And it did like, you know, we do need young people at the table mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, even though I do respect as I'm getting older, I do understand that there is something about having someone that has experience in life and, and can sort of, you know, sometimes when you're older, you can sit back and reflect a little more. Mm-hmm. But sometimes mm-hmm. something about that being that young person is like, I don't care what happens, this will needs to change. And sometimes that boldness, there's something about also being older where you're like comfortable, like you're mm-hmm. kind of around people, mm-hmm. even though you see the differences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't bother you that much anymore because this is becoming your regular life. Um, sometimes you need the young person to come and make things uncomfortable because a mm-hmm. young person is going to say, no, we're not going to take this. You don't need to agree with that because that's the way things have been done. It doesn't have to be done that way. Um, and young people are the only, really the only people that can do it. Older people take a lot to do that because you, you can, you know, grow in relationships. Um, but the young person doesn't care about that. And that's actually the great thing about being young. Um, and that's what I liked about Justin. He didn't care. Like, he was like, I'm going to get with my friends and I walk around like we run this county, um, even though we're just like a bunch of youngins. But he didn't care that nobody, that somebody would say, you're too young, you need to wait. He didn't wait. And to be honest, that opened up a door that a lot of young people now, if you look at the legislature in Maryland, if you look at um, just a lot of young people in a lot of these positions, I mean, the, the mayor of Greenbelt is like in his early 20s. Um, you look at just some of the different people that decided to run, and people are seeing other young people doing it saying, okay, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do it. And I don't care that anybody tells me that I don't belong here. And that's what I loved about Justin. And I decided I was going to do that. So, you know, that was 10 years before I even decided to run. And I did want to get my degree and kind of like get mm-hmm, mm-hmm. set before I did it. Mm-hmm. So I did take some time before I decided to run. And sometimes I feel like I took too long. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm glad at my decisions at the end because mm-hmm, for me, mm-hmm. I continue to, you know, this is not being, you know, working, um, doing, being a, a legislator. Mm-hmm. I, I can be that, but I don't have to because I can still advocate. And you see what we did with the librarian community. Mm-hmm. Make change and really make a change in someone's life without necessarily being in office. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, uh, that reminds me of one of the things that we, uh, that we did around the same time as, as her primary run, uh, which just so happened to be a piggyback of her show. So y'all, I still like count this as a big highlight of my uh, existence so far, but like I was able to produce and help with a show called in the know. And it was amazing short-lived but it was amazing um i remember how it got started but for the rest of the audience that doesn't know just give us a little bit of a recap of the process of going into the into your second show from your first show and uh is it coming back are we gonna go back and do it 
campaign um, coming up and with my, my mm-hmm. business, it's really hard to kind of do all of that at once. And then actually my, my other show is very much easier to do. It's like just legal interviews and getting those out. So that was where that was a lot easier. But in the know, I find to be a lot and it's a lot when you have limited funding and just like not really, you know, like just, you know, kind of having to produce it and find, find a, put the, everything together and you have to. So it was a lot of work, but I, I would say it was fun. Like, I mean, I remember mm-hmm. my highlight might have been interviewing Nina Turner when we yes. were up there and yes. like, we did the interview and like, it was just like, that was kind of for us. Like, I was like, that's a, we were kind of like a two man show and like to get a, a person like that was like big time. Like we did, and now she's running, she's on the national stage and we've got this like cool video of her. And we did CBC interviews too, like that was fun. Like, um, and just having someone like Shadi that was so yes. I would say that yes. you know, it's so it's so funny because people are really value the on air talent when it comes to shows because mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. on talent is the person, it's the face. But the truth is the editing and that part of it is really the most important part about about mm-hmm. shows. And that's what I learned with Chad the lawyer. I had a you know, sometimes if you don't have that person that can Really, really pull it all together so beautifully it doesn't really work and those people know their value so they're not mm-hmm. and so Sade, we were just lucky to have someone who really talented and could really put everything together and make it look so good like you know mm-hmm. she and she was a whole package so she didn't just do editing she would do the makeup and all that you know and that's not even comment I, I had a guy that you know I have a lot mostly guys have done a lot of videos before and they would just shoot you know so they're not mm-hmm. going to be um, like make sure your hair is perfect unless it's sticking up in the air but a woman's touch is definitely getting yes. fine you know so that was the thing about in the know that made it so beautiful it's like not only were we doing these shows but then when Sade would put the whole thing together it would just be like beautiful yes so, yeah. yes Oh my goodness! Shout out to the old OG team. Love them. Can't wait to see y'all again. But for right now, y'all, we're gonna take a break. But we'll be back in just a second. There's a few more things we gotta get through. There, this episode is not even close to being done yet. But you know, gotta pay some bills. We'll be right back. Okay. We're back from commercial break with Walla and the last five questions are really going to be important. So everyone listen in because this is going to change your life. So at this point that we are recording, it's the night before the inauguration. So I did not pick this night lightly. I knew that the topic that we were discussing and, you know, with everything going on in the world right now and, you know, being hours away from inaugurating the next president and vice president of the United States is crucial. And by the time you all hear this live, we will pretty much have had a new president and vice president and the whole nine yards basically for about a week and a half to two weeks and so 
Before we get there, though, I do want to talk about advocacy a little bit. Um, because why not? I mean, it's literally the focal point of Walla's life. But I don't want to... Um, But I want to mention real quick that the definition of advocacy is public support for or recommendation of a particular cause or policy. And this is coming out of New Oxford American Dictionary. So I'm just curious to hear from you, Walla. What does advocacy mean to you? means being a voice for for the people around you um being a voice in making change um and that's really that's really what advocacy is your voice of making change or even you know attempting to make change because advocacy is not easy you know a lot of people i know that um today like with the whole black lives matter movement I think this is a, a moment for a lot of the advocates that have been pushing. You know, I've been working with the ACLU for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And when I've been working with the ACLU, the ACLU has been really focused on the police accountability and really mm-hmm. focused on the fact that a lot of the police are not being held accountable. And they have put out reports. I mean, even today, um, today the um, ACLU put up mail and put out a report about the Baltimore police. Mm-hmm. And um, and just saying, you know, just and they they have done this before, and that's uh, that's actually the funny thing about like a lot of this is that as like a lot of the advocates have been pushing for a long time. I mean, one of the things we talked about in Maryland, um, and you know, we're supposed to be like a democratic state, mm-hmm. and in Maryland, um, there was um, police. A police were oftentimes, first of all, if you wanted to get a record on a police officer. You had to pretty much um, put a affidavit statement in. They would deny it because under personnel, you are not allowed to request. So there's a law called Freedom of Information Act. The Freedom of Information Act, for most people um, kind of know about this, it allows you to get information from the government. Mm-hmm. However, they have certain restrictions, and some of the restrictions um, actually are around um Personnel. So, meaning that if you work for the government, it will, you know, it will might it might calm you to for you to know that you you that if you work for the government, they're not going to take your information and give it to the group if somebody requested. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do feel that police are a little different because one, they're trying to figure out not where the police lives, but whether the police has a lot of like complaints. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is that a lot of times for years, people have said that the complaints of just police officers kind of go in the dark because the, um, the police unions are sort of more um, a, a fraternized their fraternities as opposed to unions. Mm-hmm. So they kind of see themselves as a brother. And if you have a family member, it's kind of hard. I mean, you have siblings, and it's kind of hard to out your sibling because you care about them. And mm-hmm. that's how the, um, the unions, police unions have worked for years. Um, so today, um, ACLU came out with a report that said from 2015 to 2019 in Baltimore, 13,392 complaints of misconduct were filed against the Baltimore police. And 22,000 um, were um, for use of force incidents. This is quite a bit. So we're talking about in, four, in between four years, you're talking about, I mean, over 10,000 complaints, both for misconduct and then t- over 20,000 complaints for use, force, for use of force incident. So, you know, when, when we see like, you know, George Floyd, um, you know, when George Floyd passes away, everyone says, like, 
oh my God, this when how is this happening? And ACLU was like, what has it been happening all the time? We've been telling people, we've been putting reports out. But the reality is that the reports kind of like, you know, the people don't pay attention. And now it's like the forefront. So I feel like for advocates, what they're realizing is that what I told them, because I know when we got on the call, everyone was like, oh, everyone's like screaming about Black Lives Matter. We've been screaming it for years. Everyone's kind of like, this is old news for us. But, you know, we have to be reminded this is an opportunity because now people are paying attention. Now I'm getting random calls from people that are like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Okay, now, you know, the session is about to go in. Even, um, you know, because a lot of the local, you know, some people don't realize with youth supports, a lot of those things, mm-hmm. the federal government can do very little because, like, the states run their own. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, the federal government provides a lot of like, equipment, money. A lot of these, most of the jurisdictions in the United States police departments get a lot of money from the feds, and we they need to sort of make sure that's how you the purse is how you get people to act out. That's mm-hmm. right because you can say you can't do this if you get money from us. That's how they keep people straight with Medicare and Medicaid and in the healthcare industry is that they're like they're not going to stop you from doing it if you do your business elsewhere but mm-hmm. if you're receiving medicaid money and medicare money this is what you need to do and most people want medicaid and medicare money because that's the biggest payer of health care so they're going to do the things that they're required to do um so i do feel like advocacy is not easy and sometimes you have to seize the moment mm-hmm. and the moment is now for like police accountability right like these racial issues that have always been issues and and people have been crying about it for years, and people kind of be like, ah, you always cry. But now is the time. So as we're looking at advocacy, this is a great example of where advocacy can be years and years, little little bits and pieces, little bits and pieces. Um, and then now we have this moment where everyone's like, okay. So Leah Boer in Maryland was a big thing years ago. The, um, and I, one of my advocates, we have to interview him. He's great, Jonathan Hutto. He will tell you he's been fighting this fight since 2001. Where mm. they find law enforcement bill of rights gives the police everything that they want. And they pretty much did not. And I would say before, um, and what before it was George Floyd in Maryland, it was Freddie Gray. And mm-hmm. Freddie Gray mm-hmm. got killed in 2016. And when mm-hmm. he got killed, they learned that, you know, people started noticing different things. Like a police officer didn't even have to give a statement until five days after the incident. When a police officer would never be okay with you saying, you know, after you kill someone, do you want to give a statement? And other than you saying, I got to get my attorney, they not, there's no law that, that doesn't, like, that will prevent them from asking questions. But that Freddie Gray incident brought those things to light, and those little things, there was laws passed in 2016. Then in 2017, it wasn't on a big deal anymore. It was like, oh, you know, oh, we couldn't get these bills passed. So now, 2020 comes, and the George Floyd gets killed. And it's front page news. So now all these legislators that didn't want to vote for these bills in 2017, 2018, 2019 are black in their profile and saying Black Lives Matter. And all these advocates are like, what are you doing? You did not want to pass the bill that we sent to you last year. Well, we said, look, instead of just screaming at them, put the bill forward. Now you said Black Lives Matter. You blacked your profile out. You said that you, you know, like all this, speak to it. So advocacy is a long ride. Sometimes that ride can take, you know, Hutto said they fought that in 2001. Sometimes it's going to take you 20 years to get there. Wow. And that's really the, that really speaks to the politicizing of, you know, the law. And it's just like, 
the law is politics. So right, I okay. said like once George Floyd passed it's like we entered into a civil war almost and you know everyone was up in arms every state that you went to was up in arms but it was also sort of a good thing because we never seen so many people who were white stand up for black lives seriously like swarms of white people and and latinas and and different backgrounds were all like on one accord this is not okay and i i remember personally i remember personally because this time this ties into it that's not in my notes but i'm freelancing y'all i remember i remember john boyega in the UK, standing in front of thousands of people with a megaphone, just going off. I remember that. I was there. I was on Twitter. I wasn't there, but I was on Twitter watching it. And I read all his tweets and watched the story of all the stuff that he said about Star Wars, the discrimination behind the scenes, and everyone came out to support him and stuff like that. You know, after he said, I don't care if I ever get another acting job again, feel like my career's over, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone came out and backed him. And that was just like, for me, it was just like, wow, we've got the the actors and the celebs out here, like, going ham because they're upset. And, you know, that just speaks to how everyone, literally everyone, no matter your status in this world, everyone was affected and so yeah i just yeah i just wanted to mention that that you know it was that was just an insane moment of 2020 but it was also the best probably the best part of 2020 was just you know from tragedy and from a horrific viewing of eight minutes of a, a a fellow black man, fellow American, just being strangled to death with an officer on his knee. That did so much to change the world that now it's just like Corona who? Like, when the virus goes away, this will still be here. We'll still be talking about black lives. We will still be advocating for the black community and we will still be pushing to make things better for all Americans, but specifically the black community. So I just want to point that out. Yeah, it's very well said. Yeah. And I I do think that the power of video, you know, in the 1970s, we always hear that clip that says that the revolution will not be televised. Well, that's a new day and that's not true anymore. And um, that video, I think, you know, a lot of white people, I do believe they came out because I think a lot of white people 
didn't really, you know, because I really did think that a lot of this was just like crying about race all the time. Mm. And I think that video illustrated the problem that many black people have complained about the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it was so raw because mm-hmm. it showed that, first of all, you already knew you did not see a man fighting the police like that. Mm-hmm. So that kind of destroyed that. Mm-hmm. Then you hear that it's about a counterfeit money. Like, you're like, wait. Then you just watch him say, you know, pleading for help. And they are sitting on him callously. And it's it really, like, it's one thing for me to describe it and you kind of say, but to see it. And I would say, like, even myself and as someone who's, who's been in these circles kind of advocating civil rights issues, to see that was kind of, I mean, it, it would take anyone else to, it's the sadness of it, of just watching someone die on video who frankly was pleading for his life. And this is mm-hmm. not someone that was cussing nobody out, pleading for his life. It really did. I think people who weren't that convinced by it, like said, okay, there's something to this. And I mean, that's that, that was the whole point. And I think these videos are changing the narrative because we cried about these things for years and people didn't listen. But when you see it, I mean, look at the Ahmad Arbery, and those guys would have gotten away with murder had the video not surfaced of them running after the guy shooting them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then so it's just, it's a video. Videos are powerful. Yep. Videos, videos, videos. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so before we wrap everything up, since we are talking about, you know, the law, politics, and the world around us today, um, no one expected that we would start off 2021 like this, but we did. And the last, goodness, two weeks of the year have just been so, like, the year hasn't even started started yet and I've been trying to avoid you know just the sheer thought of living in a war zone like literally it's just like oh my gosh I am laser focused on trying to improve trying to get better trying to you know make plans with you know, where I'm at now, where I'm trying to go in the future. Cause y'all, when this, what y'all know, I, I'm very open about this. Like I tell people, I did not spend my check. When I, when we got that thousand dollar stimulus, stimulus check last year, I didn't spend that joint. I saved it. We getting the $600 this year and we might be getting another couple thousand dollars in the few weeks, you know, after someone special becomes the president tomorrow and y'all like what do you think i'm gonna do with that money i'm gonna save it i got plans got places to go things to do you know i can definitely get my car with that money i definitely will use some of that to save up for my apartment that's coming in the next year like y'all i'm not playing games this is my year this is the come up year Last year was good, but this is the actual come up year. I am so excited to like do more things and live life, you know, once the virus goes away and, you know, we're all safe again. But y'all, come on. The first two weeks of the year 
And it's just like, again, focused on goal setting. I bought my Apple Watch finally, and I'm like getting healthy and trying to like be the best version of myself. And then we get to January 6th. And I literally am just like working. I'm on my computer in, in the system, working quotes, talking to customers, and I get pinged on my watch. U.S. Capitol under siege. And I'm just like, huh? I instantly turn my TV on to CNN. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. This can't be happening. Like, y'all, this is crazy. So to say that the last two weeks of the year so far have been just insane is an understatement. So, yeah, that's literally how we're, we're going to end this. Like, the government is not going to get this. We're not going to, this is not going to go to them. So we're safe. But um, I just want to be as candidly honest as possible. Like, I don't talk about politics on the show just because it's not the focus of the show. But today it is. And for me, it's just like the last four years have just been indescribable. Like, I've missed the Obamas so badly. Like, and I have friends. I mean, I went to Liberty University, the largest Christian school in the world. Trump heaven down there. Uh, I've got a like one of my best friends in Florida, huge Trump supporter, huge Trump supporter. And it's just like, y'all, while y'all are in love with this guy, like the rest of the world has been suffering. I'm not lying, y'all. The rest of the world has been suffering for the last four years. And we finally came to a head. It's finally over. Like, I mean, even social media, even Twitter got sick of this guy. Facebook got sick of this guy. Like, if social media gets sick of you and you're a public fit, you know you've messed up. When social media gets sick of you and you don't even have your brand anymore, you don't have a following anymore, when you get completely cut off by social media platforms, that's when you know you've messed up. Like, big time. So... In a few words, and you can use whatever choice words as possible, like, what has, what's it been like? Because the Obama presidency felt like, the Obama presidency felt like heaven, whereas the Trump presidency has been complete hell. I'm going to just let Walla talk about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would say this. It's something like the devil you don't know versus the devil you do know. As one of the progressives, I do feel that although I was a big, I was a big fan of Obama and really just worked very hard to get him in, I do feel like sometimes I felt like he didn't go far enough and something mm -hmm. weren't far enough and that he could have been better. I understand a lot of people, I'm with a lot of people that I understand that the Trump, that the Obama can't, the Obama administration was not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Um, and no one can be perfect. And we did realize during Obama's administration that he was being um, attacked because of his race. Um, 
from a lot of the a lot of people who did not agree with them and would you know kind of indicate that. However, I think the the Trump administration has been complete turmoil. Um, Trump has brought division in this country um, and just already what was already brewing. And I think that it kind of opened my eyes because one of the things we thought is while we were celebrating Obama, I never realized how many people were just so angry about his race. Um, but I do want to make sure people understand that the turmoil and this and the people's dissatisfaction with the Trump administration really does start with, I mean, with the Trump supporters and uh, Trump itself really does start because of the race baiting. He came in um, disrespecting different groups that have brought that have made this this country great. Um, he's been an embarrassment internationally, um, and he's done very little to really help regular people. As his his statements during his 2016 campaign tried to sort of couch him as this everyday guy that could um, that could like you know that that could recognize and all and almost like um. Uh, represent the everyday man in this country when he was really a rich man that, you know, his first job was really $1 million from his dad. So he really does not um, really resonate with anyone in the United States. But he tricked people into thinking that. Um, and it's, what's interesting is that I wanted people to see what was really going to happen because people, a lot of people thought because the Democrats and sometimes they felt that there was this machine of the Democratic machine that would not listen to people and that the people were not going to have anything, um, thought that many people were, were were against Hillary because they felt like they was this blindness of the Democratic Party. But mm -hmm. this shows all along that I've said it before, maybe we said it, this is not about money, this is about race. Mm -hmm. And what we see is that many people who are suffering still today, even under the Trump administration, they don't, they rather see chaos in Washington. And that's what the insurrection people they just want to bring chaos because they're tired of seeing the changes of the top of the top of their country. A black man running the country, a Latino woman on the Supreme Court. See, we're celebrating the differences of CEOs and top people in each and all of these organizations that are of color, and it is making these people mad because they're like, "Oh wait," and that's what they say. Like, what happened to our country? They're not saying we're hard because let's just face it, we've always had poverty in our country. We've always had a struggling middle class. This is nothing new. Of course, things are, I mean, I would say that, you know, CEOs like Jeff Bezos didn't make the money that they make now in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. But let's just face it that most of these people that are running after Trump, they've not gained very much from any of his, you know, you talk to Trump supporters and you say, well, what have you actually gained from his administration? And the most that someone can tell you is that that tax bill that they passed, they gave, and I told this guy, how much money did you get from your taxes? He said $50. Ooh. So $50, you're, you're sitting up here throwing yourself, and probably some of those insurrectionist people went to the Capitol, and the only thing that they could say they probably got from the Trump administration was a little more back in their taxes, $50. You know, his friends that are wealthy got millions back. So that was mm -hmm. the real trick. While the other person got millions, and you're sitting there breaking down the capital for a president who's done very little for you. This is about a man that was basically didn't want to hit say it clearly, but made the indication that this is about getting the white man back into power, and that this is changing the narrative in the country from celebrating Kamala Harris for being the first Black and Asian um, vice president. Like this is like they don't want that anymore. They want those things to go away. So, I mean, this is, a, it really does kind of remind us that 
people who don't dislike us is people of color are closer to us than we think. This is not just Appalachia, Virginia, or somewhere in a rural area. It just goes to show when you look at the list of a lot of these people who are very hardcore short Trump supporters, they're in our county, they are even around black people, they are in cities, they are in very populous neighborhoods. So I think that's was the biggest thing that we learned here. They're younger than you think. I remember at one point people used to say, oh, you know, if you see a racist person, oh, that's just old people. Now we realize it's not an old thing. It's not a young, it's not, it is all over. We realize that people have taught their children to hate mm. and like it, it's all over us. And I think this is a wake up call for all of us that got really comfortable during the times where these people felt like they couldn't speak. Um, that a lot of older people, I remember years ago when I surrounded myself, I've always been around a multicultural group and I remember mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. elders kind of saying, don't get too comfortable, not everyone's comfortable with you. And I kind of rolled my eyes. But this kind of showed me he was right all along. Some of the people that we've been di- whining and dining with, Trump did not win 70, he won 74 million votes. He did not win 74 million votes just from people living in rural areas that don't know any black people. Let's face it. Mm. He won this all along because a lot of people, even wealthy people from the top to the bottom, are very are very much like want things to be the way they were in the 50s. Do you want to start your own podcast? If you do, great. I'm here for it. But you may ask, how do you do it? Well, that's the easy part. You first have to come up with the vision and plans for your show, including a name, episode count, and main objective. Secondly, you'll need to come up with topics that will catch your listeners' attention and keep them interested. The final thing you'll need is a hosting platform. That's where Anchor comes in. It's free to download. You can make money from your show with no minimum listenership. Record using your iPhone, iPad, or MacBook. And there are many more tools Anchor provides that you can take advantage of in order to create freely. No studio or expensive equipment needed. So if you're interested in getting your show off the ground, go to www.anchor.fm backslash start to get started with your amazing new unique show. I can't wait to hear what you'll come up with. You're welcome. We're not done yet because, again, tomorrow is the 20th and it's over. He's about to get kicked out. Get the boot. Goodbye. Smacked. Lock him up. Lock him up. Forget lock her up. Lock him up. Good grief.
everybody will vote for me because they don't want to deal with these people. But what he did not realize is that how this was going to backfire. And now these people are about to be, um, some, some of them are not facing full charges the way they should, but he should face the, the ultimate punishment for inciting this. Well, he knew there was no election fraud. He knew it. it I mean, their lawyers went to court. I pulled transcripts where we found them. Lawyers continuously saying that there was no real, real election fraud. They were just concerned about the process. Just kind of playing with the legal system, which isn't right. That's not true advocacy to mm-hmm. play with the legal system like that. And that's what they're doing is playing with the legal system. And honestly, sometimes you can't blame some of these Trump supporters. If 17 attorney generals file a lawsuit that they knew was going nowhere just for just for show, because Texas cannot could not. And I was just chuckling when I saw that Texas has no standing to challenge another state's election. But yet and still, they were in, of the belief that they were had that there's something to this. You can't blame a Trump supporter that if the president, who they think has all this inside information, thinks that there's voter fraud, then he has all these people, these attorney generals supporting him. Somebody could say, well, why why isn't there, if if 17 attorney generals think that there's voter fraud, there's voter fraud. So this is like people just doing this to cater. And how far will you go to cater for votes? How much of a, of a prosecutor will you prosecute yourself to American people for votes instead of just being true and real? This is party over state, over over country, and that's sad. Because if if I was with the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party was willing to lie to get where they were, I would not go down that dark road with them. Mm-hmm. Come on, so the future, you know. Since of course it's over now, <laughs> but um, not well. Now we still have to deal with the with the with the insurrections and everybody. We're still going to deal with them. Because you have a president that didn't take it seriously. And some people 
are kind of still skeptical about it because why would you why wouldn't you be upset if you the leader of your country is saying this wasn't real, this is okay, this, this is a democratic hoax and all this stuff. So it's just like, you know, you're gonna wait till people suffer and when people suffer then they say, Okay, now I won't make mess around with this. But it might be too late. Might be so too it's just, it, we, we need someone that's going to take this thing seriously and really make this is the government's job to protect us during this time. This is when people expect the government to take it to ring the, the realm and say, here's where we're going. Mm-hmm. This is the direction what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to get it done. And we're not going to get that with Trump in office. And that's why we have to get him out so we can get a competent leader that Woo. can take these things seriously. Woo. And speaking of competent leaders, I need to read this. I wanted to put this on camera so Walla could see this. It's like, yes, I love this woman. But I'm going to read this book, like, over the next couple of days and, you know, really get to know what's up with, with Kamala. But, like, talk about that before we get off the air. Like, what are you, wh- where do you see the future of America, like, over the next couple years, especially with the Biden-Harris administration and particularly with Kamala Harris becoming the vice president of the United States because I mean we all been looking forward to this day when history would be made and yeah and you know I'm excited and you know it's going to be a great next four years of bounce back we are going to bounce back we're going to get better and it's because it's like Wallace said we need the leadership to to take us there. And I believe that we were going to get there with Joe Biden and with Kamala Harris in office. And um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. Yeah, I definitely think that we have a more competent leadership. Mm-hmm. I definitely am proud of, of Kamala because I do believe that we do have, it's very nice to um, see someone, I'm sorry, that, that no, sure. you in mm-hmm. office. Um, and that's like, you know, that's a really good um, big thing for our people to see our folks move up and know that somebody with, somebody like her has an opportunity going to Howard, um, and being just a black woman mm-hmm. is not easy um, in, the, in a world that doesn't really fully accept you. But she's gotten that respect because she is a competent leader. Mm-hmm. And of course, Kamala is not perfect. I myself know many people, um, along with myself, was concerned about her her history mm-hmm. with, um, with criminal justice. Um, right. But she, she recognized her mistakes and she said that she would rectify them. And I'm, I'm going to hold her accountable to that. Um, I do believe that, you know, the Democrats need to understand that now that they're in charge, they really do have to come to come to come through with a lot of the things they promised. Student loan forgiveness is one of the main things. Mm-hmm. Realize that, you know, they said like, you know, most of the over, um, Three million Americans are burdened with student loans, and that's a generational thing for most millennials and those behind us. Um, we all have a lot of student loans. Long ago, long ago are the days that if someone could say, "I worked myself through college," it is almost impossible to work yourself through college. It's mm-hmm. so expensive, and a lot of people don't finish or 
you know, don't want to really pay the student loan. Mm-hmm. I don't really have thought that they can pay these large student loans. Um, so we really need this administration to do to make some true changes to the student loan program um, and really just focusing on just like really addressing health care. Um, the fact that we have so many people with health care getting the country back to work after COVID and just getting once we get these vaccines, we can get these people's working back back together and being mm-hmm. able to actually you know make money and so that we don't have all these people on unemployment so it's a lot i mean i I feel for the biden administration because with the mess that trump has brought us in they have a lot of a burden of taking us out of this this mess but i trust that they can do it we had you know obama came in during the worst economic time Mm -hmm. in history prior to the um the depression in the 1930s and by the time he left we were in a great, the best, you know, the best that we've had. So he pulled us out of a recession into into the blue. And like we are, and we basically, when Trump came in, he was able to lot, a lot of the, the things he said we're doing the best economically. Well, it was because of years of Trump, of eight years of Obama, make, clearing the pathway and pulling us out of the recession. So, um, so yeah, so we're just at this point, I really believe that we have the proper leadership and they just got to take, they got to take us to the finish line. Yeah. 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 They got to take us to the finish line, get us to the promised land. Right. And they will. (laughs) But, um, and, and before we do go, I would like to just quickly address something real quick regarding that. Um, No one can predict the future. That's my message to all of the pastors and all of the prophets who said that Trump was going to get reelected. Stop it, y'all. No one knows the future. Y'all, you tried to predict that Jesus was coming back the night that we had that eclipse, and it didn't happen because no one knows the day or the hour. So, y'all, Christians, I'd like to talk to you for a few seconds before we get off of here. Stop telling everyone that, especially fellow believers, just just stop telling people that when Biden and Kamala get into office, you know, they're going to close the churches down and we won't be able to worship, you know, anymore. And, you know, that the agenda that's following them is... You know, you know, demonic, and I'm just, I'm just like y'all. Stop it, stop it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, just to be clear, mm-hmm. um, we're getting the vaccine. They have focused. They're like we're properly focused on getting this vaccine out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if they get the vaccine out, um, you know, it, it it really will make things a lot better. Yes, and so it's not the antichrist, people. Out, like it, you won't. You the livelihood of the people 
people of your yes. membership. Mm-hmm. If your mm-hmm. membership um, is, you know, if your membership is really not um, able to is is not able to meet because you want they want their lives saved, mm-hmm. that should that should be your main. That should be actually mm-hmm. that you should be happy to say like, okay, yes. you know what? At least we're saving lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised mm-hmm. because I see a lot of the pastors are more concerned with making sure that if their membership is there, they can pull in the ties. So they're like, oh, we don't like the, you know. And so that's what that's about. And that's sad because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. should actually have an administration that's more like people or pastors that are more like, I want to make sure that my members are here so they can receive the word of God, as opposed to I want them in so I can get my ties and I'm going to be mad at the administration that we can't all get our ties because there were people that went to churches and came back home and caught COVID and died. And that should not be something that mm-hmm. church people want to be a part of that. Right, right. Stay virtual for as long as you possibly right. and can. Especially with the vaccine, mm-hmm. it allows more people to get together. And of course, we got to see what the new strands and what happens. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. once we start getting this, I mean, they're really focused. That's the focus of this administration. The first 90 days are about getting the vaccine into more people's hands. So people who want it, most of them can get it right now. And that would be most Americans. Right, right. Guys, stop. The vaccine is not the Antichrist. It's not, it's not time for the end of the world yet. A bunch more things still have to happen. I can, if you want, I can check my Bible for you. It's in there. A bunch more things still have to happen. We're not at the end. Jesus is not coming back yet. So stop it. Stop prophesying, okay? Like, ugh, I love y'all, but stop prophesying. Come on now. We're, we're, we will be fine. The next couple of days slash years, we will be fine. And everything's going to be okay. But yeah, um, that's it. I just wanted to say that and uh thank you all for coming on the show. Really appreciate you giving your insight and expertise on everything, honestly. Uh before we wrap this up, where can everyone follow you on socials? So yeah, Walla Brigade on Facebook, Walla KB on Instagram, and and um Walla Brigade on um on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and that's E as in boy, L E G A Y. Yes. Yes. I will make sure all Wallace socials go in the show notes for you all to follow her. So, uh, yeah. I'll see y'all next week in episode six. Peace. If you want to follow Life Tips, on social media we have a facebook account and a twitter account both at life tips podcast if you would like to follow me on social media you can find me on instagram at nate underscore the underscore speaker or underscore orator nate or you can follow me on Facebook at The Wise Orator, or you can follow me on Twitter at auth underscore gen underscore person. That's it for this episode. See you next week.